1: My mum broke her ankle, so welcome to the world of looking after aging parents. How's that? It's not that great. No? Actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh Gen X, it's coming your way. <laughs> and some of those early millennials, second round boomer children, yeah. Aging is hard, especially when somebody breaks their ankle.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's not not no, ideal, is it? No. So, today's show we yeah. have Elise, and uh, Elise is from Sustainable Cities.
1: Correct, from the Sustainable Cities Transport Collective.
0: Yep, and Elise is talking with uh, Graham Bloor, and we've got them both on the phone. Um, Excellent. Graham is the convener of a community group in Cairn that has been campaigning together around the lack of community services and public transport in their area. For the last 17 years, he has worked as a mental health counsellor and youth refugee manager, working directly with refugee youth and extended families throughout Victoria, particularly in Melbourne's northwest. As someone originally from the eastern suburbs, he was struck by the blatant disregard and lack of support for the west shown by successive governments. Graham's community group are concerned about a new housing development being built in their area that will be 25% social and affordable housing. With no PT provisions and in an area where the main road has not had a bus running down it for almost 20 years, they are concerned that the lack of access to PT and other community services will have a damaging effect on both new and existing community members. As the intro, we'll try and patch Elise and grab Yeah, in.
1: absolutely. Transport is a huge issue.
0: Yep. Hello. Can, are you both here?
1: Hello. Yes, sure. here. Yes, look yes, at that success. modern technology. <laughs> Hello, Elise. Hello, Graham. You're with Sam and Jack. Yes. Good morning.
2: Good morning. How are you, folks?
0: Yeah, really good.
1: Very good. Thank you. Uh, Elise, we might just start with you kicking off the conversation with Graham.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Sam and Jack.
1: Um,
3: how are you this morning, Graham?
2: Yeah, good, Elise. Yeah, yourself?
3: Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. Um, I'll kick straight off into some questions, so as was mentioned in your intro, for the last 17 years you worked as a mental health counsellor and youth refugee manager, so coming from the east and you know moving into the west, I'm sure you have um, quite an awareness of how a lack of PT and other services affects the lives of people in the community. How have you seen that play out in the Canley area?
2: Yeah, look, the Camry is a classic example, in fact, of what's going on out in the west or east. um, The reality is, in the western suburbs, we've got uh, five, five and a half percent tree canopy cover. Uh, The normal average around Victorian metro is around 24 percent or so. So it's dramatically under what it should be. And there is a lot of good work that has been done. People like Greening the West and other organisations have done some fantastic work already. And there's a lot of efforts being made. But... Um, our, our look. Our major concern is regarding development Victoria, an agency, a state government, who are proposing the new estate um, in the last of the vacant land in Camley, and plan to bulldoze uh, five hundred mature trees, um, and, and ostensibly because of uh, you know their condition, um, we know it's actually for dollars. Yeah.
3: Um We've spoke about that before and it's really, there seems to have been quite a lack of community consultation around the bulldozing of those trees as well. Um, Have you had any opportunity to kind of um, have an input around that with any of the decision makers in the area?
2: Yes, look, we we have and uh, we've been fighting on this issue for uh, a couple of years now and more. In fact, the issue goes back to 2013. And uh, what has happened, actually, is more recently um, we've actually had some really positive input uh, and support from um, some particular politicians. And, uh, look, I've got to say, um, it's actually come from very unexpected sources, and uh, we've really gratified the Liberal member uh, for Warrandyte, Ryan Smith in particular. It's been brilliant, actually took the time and effort to come out uh, all the way over here in person to actually look at the issues uh, and discuss with us as a result of that. What the Liberal Party have done is uh, they've actually announced the uh, policy of 10,000 trees for Camley, which will make a huge difference. This is a suburb that's right next to eight lanes of ash felt on the Western Ring Road, which is a massive heat sink effect. Development Victoria are bulldozing 500 of the 570 adult trees there, and their proposal is to replace them with 3,000 trees well, 3,000 trees is completely inadequate um, for an area like this, and those and Development of Victoria well know their own experts have told them this, and it's on public record that to get the same tree canopy cover as exists now will take at least 20 to 30 years out here because of the poor soil, lack of rainfall. And uh, higher winds than in the east. So, um, yeah. So the liberals are actually have they have actually stepped up and announced a very positive policy. Plus, they have also given a guarantee to protect those five hundred trees uh, and for them to be subject to independent review before any of them are bulldozed.
3: Yeah. So I mean, you're right. Like heat heat sinks in the west are um, a really big issue. I might just. Um ask you a bit more about um, public transport in the area as well, because I know we've spoken about um, how the Canley Drive hasn't had a bus for about 20 years, but there is a bus that can take people to the nearest Pokey Centre. Can you tell us a bit more about that?
2: Yeah, I sure can. It's almost unbelievable, isn't it? Eh? Um, yep, OK. So the Canley area was was actually part of Albion Explosives Factory for people who don't know. Uh, it's west of Sunshine and along Double Eight Road uh, towards Deer Park, and it's a 41-hectare site, the last remnant site of vacant land uh, from the Alban Explosives Factory, which was re- remediated allegedly um, during the 90s. And there's more about that I'll say later. What what has actually happened to Elise is that the and uh, listeners is that the estate has opened up uh, around 2000, early 2000s. But in in full, really, opened up around 2007, you know, well and truly packed then, and 10,500 people, but no bus service down the major route in uh, Camley. Uh, yet you can actually ring up to get a free pokies bus to and from the pokies venues nearby, and that's another major issue in itself. So it's a pretty damning indictment of a government that has just sat on its hands and done nothing in regard to this. And we have called on the Labor Party again and again and again to actually remedy this. It's not hard. And uh, we're just getting popped off. We get excuses. Oh, this will be done when the deer park, you know, when the station is upgraded, yada, yada, yada. And uh, frankly, we're sick of excuses. Yeah, um, and I
3: think this is something that, We see quite a bit along um, out in the west. There's new developments being put in with no public transport provisions, and residents are just left dependent on their cars. And um, one of the members of the collective recently brought to my attention some research that was done by RMIT researchers, looking at the impact that inadequate transport has on the lives of residents. And they found there's actually significant impact on the health and family life. So. More than two thirds of the respondents that they spoke to in the Wyndham area found that travel times in their suburb were longer than they expected before they moved in. 48% of um, residents in growth areas have a negative, the travel time has a negative impact on their health, and 64% said travel times have a negative impact on their family life. And this is due to the increased stress of unpredictable travel times from traffic congestion, or poor public transport connections. Residents also feel isolated as a result of living further away from friends and family. And last time I was on Dirt Radio, we had Sarah join us, who's from the Brimbank area as well. She told us how she feels disempowered from participating in her community when buses end so early in the evening and she can't make it to community meetings and things like that. So how do you think that better buses and improved public transport could impact the lives of people in the Canley area and in this new development that's being built?
2: Oh, look, it, it'll make a massive impact, least. I mean, the reality is that we've got a bus service at the moment that is completely inappropriate. It's, it's unworkable, frankly. Um, in fact, John Stone uh, from RMIT, in doing the research uh, regarding bus routes, found that the average length of time on a trip on public transport in Wyndham, just down the road, was over 71 minutes, which is almost double the average 37-minute trip in inner Melbourne, um, and in fact, these figures also apply to Brimbank. Uh, but more than double the proportion of households in Wyndham have three cars in an inner Melbourne, so that's more than double the amount. It's just entrenching poverty; it entrenches disadvantage. And of course, the other aspect is people need somewhere to park their cars. So guess what? In this new estate where Development Victoria is proudly boasting about 3,000 trees, which is a miserly uh, result, um, half of those trees will be damaged within five years, and that's based on previous research, uh, because people need somewhere to park their car. And when you've got a three-car family, there's not enough space with garages and off-street parking, so nature strips will be the result. You're absolutely right.
3: So it's another reason why better buses would be of huge benefit to the community because car dependence is one of the things that, in the RMIT research, worried the residents the most. And, you know, car traffic has a massive impact on people's health, people's mental health. Um, It also, interestingly, in the research, they found that in a centralised city with a radial transport system like Melbourne, the increased traffic in the outer suburbs, like in the West, ends up having a flow-on effect and multiplier effects of congestion in middle and inner areas. So this transport, this car traffic that we're seeing out in the West actually affects the whole of Melbourne. And um, another thing that um, they found when they did a bit of a cost-benefit analysis was that the biggest benefit to the community actually comes from avoided car ownership. There's a huge proportion of transport costs is passed on to private households, um, and you know we're in a stage of time where the cost of living is really rapidly increasing, and the cost of that is falling on communities, and especially those in the west where families are left dependent on their cars. You know, I spoke to I've spoken to people in households where they've got two, even three cars, and in these high in these new developments. Um, They've been sitting around waiting for some public transport for 20 years or more. And if you've got a household, which there are a lot sort of out in the West that have three generations, so you've got a family, the kids have got their pea plates, they need a car, and if the parents live with them, that's three or more cars for the household. And it costs so much money for people who really just can't afford to pay for that. <laughs>
1: I think that's a really good point, Elise, Like about the cost of uh, transport, both with private cars as well, especially for larger families. Uh, What I find really interesting about this discussion is uh, actually recognising the sort of interlinked oppressions that take place in terms of access to transport in uh, socioeconomic-related areas. I'm just wondering if this has been going on for so long, what, what, what can we do to actually change the structure? Uh, because I know it's not only communities in the West, but actually out in the North, there's a lot of migrant refugee communities. And it's the same thing. There's a complete transport black spot, uh, down that corridor. And if you don't live near the train line, it's, it takes you, as Graham was saying, what should be a 15 minute trip takes like over half an hour just to get to the supermarket.
3: Yeah, well, you're exactly right, and what the research that John Stone and Ian Murray have found with the Better Buses for Melbourne paper is that if we transform the network into a grid network where buses run down main roads, you can get a service every 10 minutes that connects people not only to the closest train station and into the city, but within the community as well, which really helps to decrease that social isolation that a lot of people are feeling, especially in these outer suburbs. And as you said, if people have come from a migrant family, and especially um, if it's a woman with children, and they only have one car for the household, and the husband has to go off to work every day, you know, women women with children are left at home with no transport nearby. So what we can what we've been doing is um, connecting with communities all across the west. Uh, we've been doing sort of actions, we've been doing flyering, we've gone to various festivals, and we've got some community forums coming up as well, and we'd really love to see people, even no matter where you're from in Melbourne, you're welcome to attend. Um, And the first one's going to be next week on Wednesday, on the 12th of October, at Tarnit Community Learning Centre. We'll have some sort of key speakers from groups in that area, and um, John Stone will be there to talk about the research as well, and we're inviting local MPs and candidates along to let us know what they're going to do ahead of the election this year because we want to see solid policy commitments and it's really, it's not that much that we're asking for either because the, we can, with a, additional operating funding of about $30 million and a one-off capital investment of $25 million, we can completely transform the bus network and solve a huge range of issues, be it the mental and physical health, social equity, safety, cost of living, it really doesn't cost that much. It's about one one-hundredth of any of the major road projects that um, the government is willing to spend money on at the drop of a
1: hat. I had another question maybe to, I don't know if this is best to you, Elise, or to Graham, but I know in other countries where there are large urban populations, there are, you know, for for example, and this is, I guess, extreme because Mexico City has the entire population of Australia in one city uh, but the the public transport system is integral to moving that amount of people around and one of the things that they do is in local community areas they have these smaller buses that move people through very local areas towards the main bus or train uh, points depots points of connection. Is that happening at all in our transport system? Are we utilising, like, smaller community uh, buses that could potentially be moving people to the connection points?
3: Um, so I know of a trial that was done recently in the Wyndham area, actually, um, by a service called Windbus, um, and they they ran it earlier this year where they had those smaller sort of community buses to get people around the arterial roads and to and from um, the train station and to medical appointments and things like that. And that's really, really beneficial for people who aren't able to walk to their bus stop um, and things like that. So that's actually one of the things that's included in our campaign as well as advocating for a transformation of the wider network but also these smaller sort of community buses that can get people around the community. Um, Graham, I don't know if you wanted to speak
2: to that as well. I'm not sure if you had an answer. Yes, sure sure do, Alicia. Thank you for that. And and look, I think that's a really terrific idea. The smaller bus aspect is a really workable and a really tangible idea, I believe. Um, Ideally, you know, utilising electric bus technology and electric buses are available, but we call on the Labor government to actually step up to the mark and actually start providing a decent service using electric buses You've had eight years to actually develop a plan in Cam Lee for a decent bus service, and it's still not been delivered. Um, And frankly, that's an absolute nonsense. And it's pretty morally disgraceful that you can get a bus down Cam Lee, a free pokies bus, but you can't get a bus down the main thoroughfare of Cam Lee. I mean, that's
1: just outrageous (laughs) on so many levels
2: absolutely but we want to, yeah look we want we'd love to see smaller buses and the Johnstone model is actually a brilliant model could we give you some just some very very quick uh, figures this is unreal and I'll tell you what if you're a business person you're going to love this, all right because, um, and this transposes to just as much to anywhere pretty much in the West. So for Hoppus Crossing uh, just down the road, the number of people who could get to the train station within 30 minutes increased by 1,155%. On Sundays, the number of people who could get to High Point Shopping Centre, I hope you're listening, High Point, shut up by 200%. And for Werribee Plaza, it was 400%. Wow. So as we said, this is is going to become a cost-neutral thing over time because the benefits to the community, to business, to people's ability to actually access employment, meaningful employment, is so profound, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Not
3: only will it be cost-neutral, Graham, but something that was in the RMIT research they found, and this is just for the Wyndham area, for the cost-benefit, the benefits of providing early and high-quality transport options in Wyndham would be 1.058 billion dollars, compared to Im- implementation costs of about 59 million.
2: Huh. Wow! Isn't
3: that wow. astounding? Wow. <laughs> That's
1: incredible. <laughs> I mean, when it comes down to it, this is this is really also you know something that we don't talk about often when we think of transport it really is a class issue as well as yep. a socio-economic justice issue and, you know, I can see this convergence happening around uh, tackling climate change from a justice perspective and also recognising that uh, for a very long time in the development of modern Australia, our resources have gone into wealthy areas and transport has been one of those things where if you live in the inner city or in the wealthier suburbs, it's really easy to get around because the infrastructure is there. Uh, so I guess the question is, how do we get this justice for? Focus into the transport campaign for you know sustainable transport and sustainable cities. Well, At I mean, I
3: think, that's, yeah. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs>
3: I guess that's why you know our campaign and why the research that John has done is focused on the West because we know that that's what's that's what's going on here. So, an example as well is that recently um, the state government have started some bus reform sort of community consultation but they've started it in the north and northeast first <laughs> which it's it's great that that's happening and it should still be happening but why isn't that happening in the west so yeah. we've just been asking folks out west to fill out that form and and say that because that's it's it's so crucial to the campaign
0: do you um, yeah. With the when you're saying about the out west issue, and Sam touched on it earlier with the demographics out west, and you have um, more migrants and such. And I, I, myself, I'm on a, I'm a PR, right? And as a yep. permanent resident, I can't vote. And do you think that that obviously plays a factor Ooh. politically, especially coming up to election season? That essentially they think, well, because you're not voting, I do actually regard your voice. If that makes sense
2: i I think there's a bit more to that too if I can just uh, add uh, just jump in here um, we, yes possibly possibly there's that element i think uh, there's also the element uh, within some of the multi multicultural communities um their experience of government has been very um, that Frankly, they've, uh, you know, and I worked with huge numbers of young people who came from areas where governments were actually corrupt, uh, totally corrupt, uh, you know, and and uh, uh, nothing had changed for many, many years, and they and they experienced firsthand. Um, absolute atrocities from their own government, Um, you know, corruption on a grand scale. So they don't trust government. Um, Their experience of government is something they want to avoid at all costs. And they don't have confidence that actually having, or, or I think quite the understanding that you can actually in Australia change your vote and that you have the right to without other people or the government knocking on your door and saying, why have you done this? And actually pointing a gun at your head. And that's a reality of life in other areas of the world. People get scared.
1: Yeah, I I think that is a really good point, Graham. I think a lot of people that don't have permanent residency, uh, sorry, who don't have citizenship, uh, not only can't they vote, but they're also scared that their permanent residency will be revoked. Mm. So there is... Uh, a real fear of rocking the boat and somehow losing your visa or being deported. And, you know, let's face it, Australia doesn't have the best history of refugee policy uh, of migrant policy and you know Dutton who is now the leader of the federal opposition uh, really made it clear that he would deport people when they're in government even just for dual citizenship or minor crimes so I think that's a really effective stifling tool for people to speak up about what they need because they're scared. Yeah
3: Um, and while all of this is true, and you guys are absolutely bang on we We have been having conversations with people from different sort of migrant communities out west who who are on board with this campaign, yeah. regardless. You no, know, we've been speaking to people from the Indian community, from the Bangladeshi community, from all sorts of areas, and people are really jumping on board. Um, we've also been sort of making an effort to make our materials accessible, so we've been sort of translating materials and things like that so that those communities aren't left out from the campaign um, because it's so important. But it's a, it's a really good point that, I guess, you know, if people aren't able to vote, vote then they're not... <laughs> services aren't provided for them. So, yeah, we we need to, um, I guess, think about ways that we can still empower that voice. You know, it doesn't always have to come down to the vote.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Listen, Graham, we're running out of time. Um, I suppose, if you got a quick sort of 30-second pitch for how you can get involved?
2: Yeah, sure. Look, people can get involved by, um, and at least, um, I'm sure that there's details that you're able to actually publicise in regard to that. But I would encourage people to actually, um, you know, to be confident that they can, can actually have a voice, that they can change their vote. There's independents out here who are actually uh, outstanding and working hard for the community. People like Virginia Tacos, uh, in the West, is absolutely brilliant, and others who are making a difference. Um, there are different policies now in place. We're calling on this government to step up to the mark and actually do something real for the West instead of sitting on their hands.
3: Yeah, um, what you say is completely true, Graham. supporting those independents who are really passionate about the community and are doing so much um, is one way to go about it. And, yeah, you know, we are always looking for people to jump on board with the sustainable cities campaign we've got the community forums coming up so windham 12th of october there'll be one in hobson's bay on the 26th of october and then a brimbank one as well sort of early november with the details to be released soon you can jump on our website um and we'll be doing sort of action flyering as well as the peer-to-peer fundraiser on the fifth of November, we have Ooh, a Sustainable yeah. Cities team. Um, we would love for you to join our team and do some super fun actions across the city. I think I'm thinking giant cardboard bus riding <laughs> around the city, something along those lines.
1: Excellent. Well, I've joined the Scat team, so you know we'll be bringing cranky out to support transport.
3: Oh, amazing. <laughs> <Brilliant>. <laughs>
1: Uh, thank you very much for joining us today, Graham and Elise. Thank you for heading up this conversation. We are really out of time, so we will have to say farewell, adieu, alfaita uh, zayn, whatever your language, we are inclusive. Uh, thank you for your interview today.
3: No worries. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much.
2: Okay
1: thank you and if you do want to get involved as Elise said you can jump on the melbournefo.org.au website and check out sustainable cities page and all those amazing forums that are coming up around public transport uh we don't have time to talk about bring the noise maybe next week jack
0: yeah we'll get it on next week we'll um well i mean you could have a quick rundown with bring the noise we've got 2 minutes Do Uh, a minute. Go on.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, 5th of November, like the amazing race, but for climate activists, we're going to do actions across the city. We're going to form teams. We're going to compete against each other and we're going to raise funds through getting your family and friends to sponsor your team. You can do five actions, 10 actions, or you can go big and do 25 actions and the winner will get some ridiculous, really nonsensical prize.
0: Well, that was pretty impressive. I'm in awe of how quickly you did that there, Sam. Well done. Um, And I'm sure we can cover it a bit more next week.
1: Yeah. Just look up Bring the Noise, Friends of the Earth Melbourne. It will take you to the Raisley website and you can sign up and create your team there.
0: Up next is uh, Gav and Billabong Beats. We're going to play you out with a few CSOs. We've been Dirt Radio and Jack and Sam. We'll speak to you next week. Ciao. Australia and around the world, we've seen reactionary right-wing mobilizations around anti-vaccine, anti-lockdown and anti-public health demands. In response to this, the Campaign Against Racism and Fascism have launched the campaign Pro-Vax, Pro-Union, Anti-Fascist to
3: combat the far-right.